So I got a little story to start out with that I heard about this week. Everybody likes stories, right? Yeah. So I heard about this burglar that broke into a house one night. And he was stealing the stereo. Okay? Stealing the sound system. And as that was happening, he heard a voice saying this. Jesus is watching you. So he heard that voice. He's frozen his tracks. He shined the flashlight all around the room. He saw a parrot over in the corner and he said, Hey, did you say that to me? The parrot said, Yes, I'm just trying to warn you. He said, What are you talking about? Warn me. Who are you? The parrot said, My name is Moses. He said, The burglar laughed and said, What kind of crazy people would name a parrot Moses? The parrot said, The same kind of people that would name a 150 pound Rottweiler Jesus. But I'm Today we have the privilege of wrapping up our Jonah series. And we've had a, a wonderful time with this. So we had devotionals made, a pre- and post-devotional. They're still available. You can pick one up if you'd like to take it. But again, we've, we've really loved this series because it's a small book of the Bible that sometimes we forget about. Look, if you think that people know all about the Bible stories, you're wrong. Because I, had a youth, uh, I was a youth pastor my first job. There was a girl in our youth group who had no idea who Noah was. No idea who, who uh, Jonah was. No idea who the Abraham was. And, and, and these big Bible characters. So it's important to teach on these topic, topics and these characters because sometimes people just don't know. And that's okay because that's why we're here, right? To equip, to serve, to learn. And so we're talking about Jonah. He's a servant of God. He went and disobeyed God. He got swallowed up by this great whale. You know the story. He disobeyed God because he didn't want to go to these evil, wicked people and tell them about God. How many know we can do that in our own life? If we really check ourselves, sometimes we can say, ah, God, I'll share it with this person, but I'm not going over there. They don't deserve it. If we're careful, we, we, we got to be careful about that. But Jonah is a great story about God, his grace, and how we should ultimately receive his grace and respond to his grace. So not only do we receive his grace freely, but we also should freely give that to others. Would you agree with that? So we can't just hold that gift into ourselves. We have to replicate it and send that grace out. And we can also be tempted at, as Jonah and assume that we have nothing in common with him. But the fact is that the spirit of Jonah often dwells within us. It can take over our lives. Sometimes when we least expect it, it swells up inside of us. Listen. There's, a group, there's people in my life that I'm friends with, family members, that would suggest that there's a certain type of people, a certain group of people. They, they have prejudice or some bias against a certain group of people that say, I don't need to be nice to these people. I'm, I'm just not so sure they're going to be in heaven. There's people out there that have that kind of view. Okay, And God loves all His creation. Would you say all? All. Otherwise, He wouldn't have created it, right? So today we're turning to the last chapter in the book of Jonah. It's Jonah 4, if you would like to turn. And if you don't want to turn or if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen, so it's convenient for you. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11 today. And it's a unique story. And we're going to pick up there in Jonah 4, 1. So it says this, But, Jonah, this seemed, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong. He became angry. What seemed very wrong? Well, the fact that God was forgiving that God had restored the people of Nineveh, that God sent His grace, that they accepted it. Oh man, he's just angry. He prayed to the Lord. 
Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious God and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. He was hoping for destruction. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered and died. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, It is right for you to be angry about the plant. He said, It is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Verse 10, But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So God's saying this. They're having a conversation. Jonah's just really bummed, really mad, angry that God's going to spare these people and not wipe them out. And God says to him, just like this plant was gone and, and overnight, you didn't do anything, you didn't work for it, why should I not save my creation? Why should I not save my people? 120,000 individuals, not counting the livestock is what it says here, many animals. Even though he says they can't tell their right hand from their left, but I have concern for them. And oftentimes in our lives we can... Put a group, put a people, put a situation in that same light, and we've got to be careful that we don't do that, and we extend God's grace. God will use the pressure of circumstance, of calling, or crisis to reveal what is in our hearts. I'll say that again. God will use the pressure of circumstance, calling, or crisis to reveal what is within us. And I noticed in my own life, when you get a calling, when you get a burden on your heart, there is nothing that can quench that thirst. There is nothing that can take away that passion. If God has placed something in your heart, you can't do anything to get rid of that feeling. You can't do anything to get rid of it. You can try real hard to run away from it, but it'll still be there. I spoke with one person who thought they should be a preacher really young, and at the end of their life, they're like, I wish, I wish. I wish I'd followed God's calling because I still feel the burden for that. You know, I don't want to get to the end of my life and have regret because of something God put on my heart and I didn't follow through. And that's exactly what we see with, with the story of Jonah. He had a burden. God had told him something. And then God sent him through a crisis to reveal ultimately what was in, what was in his heart. So pressure will usually reveal three things. Is everybody tracking? Say three things. Pressure will normally reveal three things. Our prejudice is the first one. Preconceived opinion that isn't based on real experiences or information. Now some of the things in Google that define as prejudice are these things. 
uh, beliefs, values, social class, age, religion, sexuality, education, or my favorite sports team affiliation. So because you're not a Carolina fan or a Duke fan or a State fan, you can show prejudice to that person, right? You, you, do we see this every day? Come on, folks. Let's be real. You want, let's be real. We see it every day on the media. We see it every day on the television and on Facebook. We see prejudice. We see bias and, and those kinds of things. Preconceived uh, opinions that aren't based on real experiences. The second thing that pressure will usually reveal is our preferences. What is comfortable to us. How many of the comforts are great? I like to be comfortable. Uh, let's, let's think of how many battles at home or at church could be won over the thermostat. Right? If you live with anybody hot or cold nature and you're the opposite, that thing goes up, down, up, down, up, down. Come on, I'm getting some nods. Right? Right? You know it's true. Or in the car, my favorite. Close the, close the vent, open the vent, close the vent, open the vent. It's, it's not our preferences, right? Our comfort, what is comfortable to us. It's, it's amazing those things that we get stuck in. How many fights could be avoided, though, if we just had an automatic temperature adjustment thing? In fact, I've, re, I've seen commercials for beds that have temperatures on either side. Have you seen that? that that's really cool. I wouldn't spend the money, but it's really cool. Uh, but it's, it's neat that they have that. So our preferences can be revealed through pressure and circumstances and trials and calling and all those things. And then lastly is our perspective. How our life experiences and education shape our views. How many know that a missionary to Africa would have a different perspective on the movings of God, on the gospel, on salvation, on ways to evangelize than I would? Right? They have a different point of view. They have a different lens that they're looking from because they may have seen some things that I have not seen. Look, when I went overseas into Portugal, in the slums of Portugal, and I was privileged to go and set up a vacation Bible school and feed the children and all those things, man, it changed my perspective because we don't realize how good we have it. There's just some places on the face of the planet that don't have it as good as we do, right? In fact, I'd be safe to say that probably 90 to 95% of the world have no clue about this kind of comfort with that thermostat that we have. And it's incredible because our perspective changes the more we see things, the more exposure we have. Would you agree with that? When we go overseas and experience things like that, or we go downtown Charlotte, or we go downtown Atlanta, where I've been with, with distributing supplies to the homeless and Raleigh and all these places, Homeless people live a different way than we do. They have a different lens. They have a different perspective. They're trying to not cause any trouble with the gangs or the police. They don't want their shelter that they've made out of blankets and cardboard to be, have to be moved because it's unsightly. That's their struggle. They don't know where the next meal or bottle of water is coming from. So it's different. It's a perspective. But when we look at our life through the perspective, I would argue today, of lost souls and of the gospel of Jesus Christ going forward, man, our perspective changes, doesn't it? It becomes not about preferences, not about prejudice, but, but about Jesus. And when we shift our lens to the glory of God and how He can receive glory through our life, man, that, that problem really doesn't, really doesn't compare. And so we've got to change our perspective because our life can change and other people's lives can change. But through the story of Jonah, he responded with anger, which was often brought about 
by unmet expectations or false assumptions. Has anybody had any communication issues in their marriage at all? Right? Sometimes you think, well, I thought you were going to do that. Well, no, I, I said you were going to do it, but you didn't do it. Why not? Have you ever had a situation like that? Sometimes, if we don't talk about those things and get them out on the table, they can become unresolved. And unresolved situations can fester and build up until one day it's like, I'm not talking to you. Why not? I'm mad at you. Why? Well, the other day you said you were doing this, but you didn't do it. And then, well, I'm sorry, I thought you... And then we talk and we get, we get to know each other again and we explore those, those things and our perspective changes. And sometimes... God uses situations that are ugly to show us areas in ourselves that we need adjustment. Ah, that doesn't feel good this morning, does it? I'm sorry. Sometimes God can use situations in our lives to show us things in our own hearts that need to be changed. And it doesn't come easy. Look, Jonah was angry. Jonah was upset. He wanted these people wiped off the face of the planet. And God used eat. God used a scorching wind. Look, the, the heat that they're talking about, our soldiers deal with in Iraq and Afghanistan because when they go and the rifles are so hot, they have to use gloves to touch the rifles. Okay? Otherwise, they'd be so hot that they'd fry their hands. So when I say this was a hot heat, this is what Jonah's talking about. His, he was getting hot. He was burned. This wind wasn't helping. It's called a scorcher wind. There's so many facets of it. You can go look it up. But the scorcher wind is so complex. It's crazy. But God uses situations sometimes to reveal the ugly in us. And it usually manifests out in three ways like this. And the first point is today, we quit. When God uses situations to reveal the ugly within us, it manifests by we quit. We give up. If you look at verse 3, it says this, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's a quitting statement. I give up. I'm tired of doing this. I don't like the position you've put me in. It's not working. I quit. Have you ever been at a spot where you said, I quit? Goodness knows I have, right? When Krispy Kreme comes to the door and these kids are selling them, I'm like, man, i got to be nice. I quit. <laughs> I quit my diet for a second so I can get a box of donuts, right? That was funny, but seriously, we can use it in a real application in our own life. When, when pressures get tough, when, when we're really put to the, the test and, and we've got a deadline and, and all this, we can fight or flight, right? We can quit or we can fight on. So Jonah had considered death to be better than pressing forward. Jonah had considered death to be better than life at this point. And that sounds very depressing, and disheartening because it is, it was. To give up and die than see the people of Nineveh come to God. To see God spare that city was not on his agenda at all. He wanted to see God rain down fire on Nineveh and wipe it out. And instead, God showed grace and mercy. He wanted justice, He wanted them to die. And then he just ended up quitting. It isn't normal in our human race, I don't think. We could probably argue for days about philosophical, but I really don't think at the core it's in our human nature to show compassion and grace. It's in our human nature to ignore it. 
What it takes is a God nature saying, this is what you're supposed to do. A spiritual nature, which is what you, a moral compass that says, you're supposed to help out your neighbor. And it says, Jesus, God, is showing grace and love and mercy to these people when they deserve much worse. But when we take a step back, we'll realize that I also deserve much worse. Amen? I also deserve much worse because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has fallen short of God's glory. That means me, that means you, that means homeless, that means neighbor, means evil coworker. <laughs> right? Everyone has fallen short. But I love what Joel 2 says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and mourning. Render your hearts to me, not your garments. Render to the Lord, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. Man, when we talk about quitting, that verse is important because God abounds in mercy and love. And for Jonah, that just wasn't on the docket. He was at a dangerous place. Sometimes we feel like quitting, but Romans 12 in the message says this, Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. It says this in verse 13, Help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Isn't that right there to the dagger? Man, that's right there to our hearts. Don't quit. Don't give up. Pray in hard times. Pray harder. We can't quit. We can't give up. Because why? If we don't share the gospel, if we don't show the love of Christ, who will? If Grace Covenant States closed its doors today, would the community be sad? If, if your life and my life, if we shut ourselves up in our, our homes, would, would the community be sad? Absolutely. I hope that's the case. Because we're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. Second Chronicles 15, But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Not only for a reward, but for the fact of saving souls from eternal hell, we ought to be excited about that, that we get the privilege of saving people. You know, there's no other joy... In life, I think this this more gratifying. Well, I think than, than having children, but uh, that's a that's a good joy. Getting married, those kinds of things. Getting saved, uh, accepting Jesus in our heart. That's uh, certainly. But saving a life from like life or death situation is extremely rewarding. Man, I've heard stories of my wife jumping on the bed right next to a kid that's going into cardiac arrest, and she's starting to do CPR and pushing through that and. Right? Sometimes they, they had cases where the child didn't make it, but a lot of times, man, that they saved them. And in the same way, we have a, a generation out here, a, a people out here in our community that live among us, that work among us, that need us not to quit and not to give up so they can continue to get that defibrillator, if you will, that shock of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. Man, we can't give up. Galatians 6, 9 says, Do not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap our harvest. I love this quote by Craig Rochelle, and I use it a lot. If you're not dead, you're not done. 
If you're not dead, you're not done. If God has given you more life and given you more breath and kept you on this earth, you have a purpose. You're not done. Don't give up. Don't be like Jonah. Don't be like Jonah. Don't quit. So not only, number one, do we not quit, but number two is this. We build shelters. We build shelters. Notice the first thing that Jonah did. Jonah's, verse 5, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. I don't know what that sounds like to you, but it sounds like an easy out to me. He built a shelter, and sometimes we build shelters too. Or what is a shelter? The definition said this, protect or shield from something harmful. Now, I'm not talking about safe spaces among college campuses today as a shelter, right? I'm not talking about that kind of shelter. Because we all know that our houses are good, they're protection from the storm, but we can also build shelters and exclude from those shelters. What I mean from that is isolation. Jonah built himself a shelter to shield him from the hot sun to the elements. But I think also another purpose of that shelter was to shield him from the people of Nineveh. So he wouldn't have to go and he wouldn't have to do anything and he could just sit there in a nice comfortable spot and watch them rot. I told you it was a hard message. Sorry. It's just Jonah. It's not me. Sometimes we can build shelters to keep us away from evil. Sometimes that's not bad, but sometimes, again, that becomes isolation. And that removes us from what God has and what God intends for our life. Because in a way, he was separating himself from Nineveh. He was waiting for God's destruction. And instead, God showed great grace. And he got a front row seat to that. And it made him angry. So God is patient with us even when we're wrong. Would you agree? I've been wrong hundreds of thousands of times. My wife will tell you. <laughs> Come on, y'all got to laugh. It's funny. You can't, you can't ignore a good joke. I mean, I know this stuff is heavy, but goodness, that's a good joke right there. We're wrong sometimes, and God shows us great favor and great grace, and He doesn't cast us off the face of the earth, right? I didn't mean to go that extreme, but... It kind of worked. God shows us great grace and great favor and mercy, even when we don't deserve it. God is patient with us, even when we isolate ourselves and build shelter. When Yahweh Elohim, or Creator God, could make the shelter for us. That's literally the translation right there. Yahweh Elohim, Creator God. That means Jonah didn't have to build himself a shelter. Because why? In the next verse we see God takes a plant out of nothing. and Provides him with shelter. And then he takes it away too. So we've got to be careful. Can churches be shelters? Yeah. Can our homes, can our habits, can our, our, our uh, how do you say, fun things we do, commitments, hobbies, can those things be shelters? Absolutely. We have to be careful that our concern is for our neighbor. Our concern is for the non-believer. Our concern is for our brother or sister in Christ. 
Because Jonah's deep concern had been expressed on a relatively insignificant portion of God's creation, and that was the vine. Because God, uh, Jonah had, had grown completely ignored, indifferent to the fact that God wiped out this plant because he was happy about the plant. And then God wiped out the plant and he started to blame God. He started to curse God. And all these things go on in the story and you get to see that. But how many times do we do the same thing? We complain. We put up walls. We build shelters. We keep our safe space. We isolate ourselves from those kinds of people. But Jonah's attitude is in complete contrast to God's relationship to Nineveh. Because God created them and nurtured them, and then He extended them the hand of mercy. And Jonah didn't want to see that. And I'll have to be honest with you, in, even in the news, even in media, even in all these things, we see these groups of people that are doing bad things, and we say, man, wouldn't it be great if God would just take them out? Because they're doing so many things bad. Maybe we send in the SEAL teams or something. I don't know. That's what we want to say. We don't want to say, man, I hope that guy finds Jesus. Is that natural for us? No, we have to go past what we want as, an, as a human. And we have to go past that and get into the spiritual and say, God, how can I reach this person that's really cut me off in traffic on 77? How can I reach this bad neighbor? How can I reach this you know, poor coworker or boss? Show me ways that I can, instead of building up a shelter, that I can minister to these people. So instead of trying to escape and build a shelter, Jonah should have connected with the people and embraced what God was already going to do anyway. God's going to do His work. We can partner with him. So the third point today is not only do we quit, we build shelters, but we watch and wait. In the end of verse 6, it said, He sat in the shade and waited. Sometimes we are in a season of waiting. Has anybody ever been there? Sometimes that really stinks. <laughs> Just being honest. Sometimes the waiting process stinks. It's not easy. It's uncomfortable. It makes us question things. Trust me, I've done my fair share of that. Sometimes we watch and we wait. Can you imagine how much time was wasted in the story of Jonah? I'm just thinking like out loud. God told him the command. You know, he really didn't want to do it. So what does he do? He gets on a boat. He goes the other way. I wonder how many days that took. Then I know the Bible says he got swallowed up for three days inside the fish. So that's another three days. He finally gets to Nineveh. God's doing his thing. He's sitting on top of a shelter. He's watching. He's waiting. How much time, I'm sure we could calculate it, how much time was wasted because he was just waiting? He was just watching. He was just observing. Have I been guilty of just watching when I should have taken action? Absolutely. Maybe many of you could say the same thing. Sometimes we watch and we wait instead of working and taking action. 
You know, we can do this in all kinds of areas of our life. We can watch and wait with the trash when it needs taken out at home, right? I'll wait for you to do it. I'll wait for you to do it. Well, it starts to stink eventually, right? Anybody know that? I didn't know if you knew that or not. My house, if the trash kind of stays in for a couple days, it's not going to smell so good. Somebody's got to take out the trash. But I could watch and wait over that trash can for several days and not do anything about it. But until I took action to wrap the bag up and take it out of the... I'll do that when I get home. Uh, Take it out, put it by the side of the road, it would never get taken care of, right? So sometimes in our lives, we can do the same thing with with our Christian faith. We can do the same thing with our community. We can watch and wait for somebody else to do the work when God's really called us to do it. We can watch and we wait when we see a coworker who is hurting or broken and crying and upset and we wait for somebody else to go and talk to them. We can watch them wait in that way. But God has shown us compassion. God has shown us grace and mercy. And why wouldn't we want to show them that same, that same measure of grace? Because instead of watching and waiting, God has called us to work. And it isn't for just a select few individuals. Isn't that good news? You know, there's the, the statement that says, you know, out of 100 people, 80% do nothing, 20% do the work kind of thing. You, you've heard that before, right? 20 people do 80, I don't know. You know what I mean. Majority of the people aren't doing anything, and the small percentage is doing all the work. State of, never mind, DOT. Um, but in the same way we can do that as Christians, we can say there's a select few people that are paid by the church. There's a select few people that are elders or prominent in the church. They can do the work. I don't have to. And we can kind of get that. Look, I've had the attitude before. We can kind of get that same attitude, but God is calling us all. Everybody say all. All to do his work. And it takes all of us because if you hadn't noticed and you hadn't looked around, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that need the love of Jesus in our world. That's what they need. They don't need some kind of rule of condemnation or somebody to tell them what they're doing wrong. Most of the time, they already know it. Most of the time, they need a friend. Most of the time, they need somebody to come alongside of and and show them the right way. And that's what we're trying to say today is this. Instead of watching and waiting, let's take action. Let's have faith. Let's, Let's make that harvest come in that God was talking about when he says... The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Him saying that the harvest is plentiful means that there's going to be a harvest. Just how big of a harvest do you want? And like we said before, and I'll make a wraparound, if you're not dead, you're not done. There's still work to be done in the church. There's still work to be done in your life and in your family's life. People still need you. Your job still needs you to witness to people and show them compassion and show them love. Man, the city of Statesville still needs people that will show love and that will show grace and compassion and kindness and, and service and all these wonderful things. We need people who will do the work of the ministry just like God has called us to. You know, homeless people aren't going to get fed just because a building's built for them. People have to serve them. Jesus said it's not the, the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. Right? And if we take that mentality, if we take that, that action, people are going to experience God's saving grace because of you and because of me. 
Not because we watched and waited, but because we took action. We had faith. Paul is another person in the Bible that could have simply written letters to churches without putting action to it. He, he wrote most of the New Testament. He could have just wrote the letters and been done with it. But if you remember, there's a portion of Scripture where he was stoned and beaten and, and flogged and all those things happened. And then the next day, the Bible says he got up and went out on his missionary journey because they actually thought he was dead. He was hurt that bad. The people who were beating him thought he was dead or stoning him. But he got up the next day because he knew that the work of God was not a watch, not a wait, but it was an action. So we have to act and we have to know. So in closing today, there's three questions that you see, I think you see in your notes. It might not be in your notes, but it's definitely on the screen. There's three questions there. Is there someone, the Jonah spirit inside of you? It, and, you know, certainly for me, I have to look and say, hey, is there some group of people that I don't want God's grace to go to? I mean, really? Let's, let's talk about ISIS. Swift, make it quick. I mean, do we really want God's compassion to go to a certain group of people we don't like? It could be someone here. I mean, it doesn't have to be across the seas. But is there someone who is making you angry? Second, the question is this. Do you have a right to demand that God should favor you and not others? That's a hard question, isn't it? Wow. But sometimes the answer is yes. Daniel can have his way and want his way, and it might not be God's way, right? I would like, I would like God to show me favor over someone else. That's, that's, not, that's, that's a dangerous area. So just like this story, is God not right to show concern to grace and mercy to the Ninevites? Is God not right to show grace and mercy to a mass murderer or a child? I mean, you go where you want to go with that. God, can you show mercy to this person? Look, it's not what Jonah wanted. He wanted to see him dead. And sometimes we have to take a deeper look inside our heart and say, God, help me see things like you see them. And that goes back to the perspective question. What is our perspective? If we go back to the goodness of the Lord, a song we sang earlier, it never fails us, but is there for everybody. If they call on the name of the Lord and they're saved, like the Bible says, God's grace and His mercy will take care of them. We would like all people to do that. I've said this before, but one of the most effective ways to dissolve conflict is by prayer. If we have issues in our own hearts with someone, whether it be a spouse or a co-worker or anything, the easiest way to dissolve that is to pray over that situation, pray for that person. So if there's an area where in your life or there's a person or a group of people in your life where you struggle with, man, the easiest thing to take care of that is to start praying for them. Because it puts your perspective on the Lord and not on yourself and your preferences. And that's hard to do. Look, I know this message is tough today. And it's not like a normal message because we're studying the book of Jonah and this happened. It's an actual story. But it can apply to our lives because many times we see these things with racism and, and you know, just the ugly within our human condition. We need God to redeem. We need God to restore. And that's not going to happen without people who are praying for that to happen. I'll close with this quote today. G.V. Smith says this, God will and does 
act in justice against sin. But his great love for every person in the world causes him to wait patiently, to give graciously, to forgive mercifully, and to accept compassionately even the most unworthy people in the world. To experience the grace of God and not be willing to tell others of His compassion is a tragedy all must avoid. Messengers of God can neither limit the grace of God nor control its distribution, but they can prevent God's grace from having an effect on their own lives. Man, isn't that powerful? Jonah prevented God's grace really working on his own heart. It didn't prevent God working in Nineveh at all. We've got to be careful because God is a God of great love and He's full of grace. The Bible said He's slow to anger, abounding in love. That kind of God I want to serve, that kind of God I want to tell people about. I want to know personally. If you haven't made that decision, you can know Him personally also. Would you stand with me today? So again, I know this last chapter of Jonah is very heavy, but it allows us the opportunity to look in to our own hearts and say, God, is there an area that I need to show more grace in? Is there an area I need to show more love and compassion and kindness in? And to be like you and to see this people, see these groups of people as you see them. Maybe it's millennials. <laughs> Whatever it is, maybe you need to ask God to show you His favor, His grace, His mercy that extends to that group of people. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word in Jonah chapter 4. And God, we know it's certainly hard to read and apply to our own hearts and lives. But God, we know that with you we have strength. With you we have love and, and compassion and kindness. But God, without you we're, we're nothing. We're dead in our sins, the Bible said, without you. So God, bring us to life today through your love and your mercy. And God, if there's an area in our heart today whether it be for our community or our nation or, God, people of other places, that you would give us compassion, that you would give us mercy and grace to show our neighbor, God, just as you've shown us. Because at the cross, the playing field is leveled because you died for all creation. The sin of the world was on your shoulders you died for me just like you died for another human being wherever that may be so God just as we reflect that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God we reflect on John 3 16 that says God so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life God didn't come into the world to condemn the world but that all the world might be saved through Him. So God, today we reflect on that verse. We just ask that you would just give us the grace and compassion to deal with people. 
God, that we would not wait and watch and build shelters and build walls and quit and give up, but God, we would take action. We would not isolate ourselves, but we would engage with our community. God, and then we wouldn't watch and wait, but we would take action and do your work that you've called us to do today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. Again, it's such a great day uh, at Grace Covenant Statesville. We're moving in a great direction with this new land. Don't forget about the offering next Sunday. We'd love to have you be a part of that service next week. And as always, have a great week. And we'll be here for prayer. If you need prayer uh, today at the end of service, we'd love to pray with you. God bless you and have a great week.